certainly have to stay humble and not be dogmatic when it comes to the topic of end-time prophecy, but we can predict with certainty a broad outline of future events in the end times through an accurate study of the Bible. Every believer certainly needs to be aware of basic Bible prophecy and not be living in denial concerning the doctrine of the second coming. Ignorance of the basics of end-time prophecy is a dereliction of spiritual duty. Let's not be caught short. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. A new day begins over Jerusalem's Western Wall Plaza where Jews and Christians from all over the world gather to worship, pray, and petition the God of Israel. The Holy City is a unique mix of tradition, history, and religious fervor that makes it the center of the world. Through your support of the Jerusalem Channel, we're able to present to a global audience a spiritual insight into the Bible and Bible prophecy that will impact your life. Thank you for being part of these programs. To make a gift, visit our website at jerusalemchannel.tv or download our free Jerusalem Channel app where you can donate by credit or debit card. Celebrate with us this ancient capital that will one day soon be the worship center of the Messiah. I'm Christine Dark. The rebirth of the state of Israel in our generation is correctly presented in Scripture as a unique event without historic parallel. On one day in May 1948, Israel emerged as a complete nation, and there's simply no other nation in history that has experienced a similar rebirth. Recently, a rabbi stated that the nations will be judged for their anti-Semitism when Messiah comes. Ironically, the rabbi didn't know that's exactly what Jesus said will happen when he returns. At that time, Jesus said he will separate the sheep nations from the goat nations on the basis of their attitude towards his brethren, the Jews. Meanwhile, that rabbi said that all the politicians and their cronies on the left will step forward when Messiah comes and they'll actually try to fool the Almighty with incredible chutzpah and stupidity. When they try to make their case before the Lord's tribunal, they will dare even to brag about how much they supposedly cared about Israel and the Jewish people. And the rabbi said that They'll boast about their fanatical drive to get the jihadist of Iran, for example, to sign a nuclear deal, claiming that they were only trying to protect Israel. Not only that, but even the leaders of Iran will spin a story to say how much they respect the Jewish people and how they even allowed the Jews to maintain their religion in Iran. And they will claim they were only planning to eradicate those evil Zionists. Well, 
How astonishing is this rabbi's insight? He also speculated that God has allowed social media to be created prior to Israel's redemption in order to facilitate Judgment Day. To explain, the rabbi who was interviewed by Israel 365 News related a story from the Talmud that after the Messiah arrives, God will invite all the people of the world who assisted the Jews to step forward to receive rewards. At that time, the leaders of world empires will brazenly step forward to claim that they took good care of the Jewish people. But God will rebuke them. You see, God is not a dictator, nor did he create the world to punish people. Therefore, the Lord orchestrates everything so that people will condemn themselves through their own actions and words, and now even through their public postings on social media, the rabbi said. So God has facilitated the possibility for every human being to express their views about the Jewish people online. So when Messiah comes, every person will have already issued a verdict upon themselves. God will only have to show them their tweets and their posts and how the world condemned the Jewish people for having the audacity to defend themselves. God will just play back for them their anti-Semitic social media postings. And so the anti-Semites of the world will be silenced and realize that they've already passed judgment against themselves. Then the rabbi cited Zechariah 8.23 in the Hebrew Bible where the Lord of hosts says, in those days, 10 persons from every nation will take hold of every Jew by a corner of his garment and say, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. The rabbi explained, this verse describes the righteous non-Jews who stand up for the Jewish people. These are the people who together with the Jews will welcome Messiah. He said perhaps several million Jews will initially greet the Messiah to rebuild the kingdom of David and to accompany them will be 10 times as many righteous Gentiles who will have displayed their love and support for the Jewish people. Well, whether or not the rabbi realizes it, he envisioned the exact scenario that Jesus described in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 25, which was written to the Jewish people about his second coming to fulfill his mission on earth. Jesus said in that chapter, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. The nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Also, the scriptures teach in Joel chapter 3 that God will judge all the nations on the basis of the manner in which they have treated the land and the people of Israel. In that chapter, God says, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, 
whom they have scattered amongst the nations. They also have, God said, divided up my land. Concerning this truth about partitioning God's land, one of our mentors in Jerusalem, Bible teacher Derek Prince of Blessed Memory, once made a very amazing statement which deserves a Selah moment. He said, in the eternal counsel of God, God has determined to make Jerusalem and Israel the decisive issue by which he will deal with the nations and those nations who align themselves with God's purposes for Jerusalem will receive his blessing. But those who follow a policy opposing God's purposes concerning Israel will be severely dealt with. Derek Prince wasn't just making an opinion. He was basing his statement upon Jesus' own words that I read in Matthew chapter 25. But another verse that backs up this truth is Genesis 12, 3 where God says he promises to bless those who bless Israel and curse individuals who curse or lightly esteem Israel. So truly the destiny of the Jewish people is the hinge upon which the destiny of the whole world hangs. You see, there's no other city like Jerusalem, Israel's capital, whose history has been written in advance in the Bible. And Jerusalem will be the balance in which the Almighty weighs the nations. Zechariah 12.3 says that all who come against Jerusalem will be severely injured. The physical return of Jesus to begin his messianic reign may or may not be soon, but it will be soon enough. Just as with his first coming, the Lord's second coming will be exactly at the God-ordained time without delay. The Bible teaches that before Jesus' return, the world is going to be rapidly declining into a far more evil, dramatic state than ever before due to the downward spiraling of the lawlessness of humanity coupled with the influence and control of a final world leader, the figure known in the Bible as the anti-Messiah. It's so fascinating that 150 years ago, one of the greatest theologians of the time, Bishop J.C. Ryle of Liverpool, England, wrote a book by the title, Are You Ready for the End of Time? Writing in 1867, based on a clear understanding of biblical prophecy, first of all, Bishop Ryle predicted that the Jews would be gathered again as a separate nation and that they would be restored to their own land. And 80 years later, it happened just as he and the Bible said. And then exactly 100 years later, Jerusalem was recaptured by the Jews as the Bible predicted. Bishop Ryle also stated, and scripture certainly confirms this, that the world will never be completely converted to Christianity before the end of the age comes. You see, the disciples whom Jesus referred to as wheat will grow together with the weeds, the unbelievers, the infidels, until the final harvest. The earth at that time will be in much the same condition as the days of Noah and the flood. Jesus taught that world conditions will be the same as in the days of the flood, as well as the days when Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Furthermore, Bishop Ryle wrote that widespread unbelief and wickedness are to be expected 
even though many today in the church are blindly teaching the opposite, that the church is going to take over. For example, Kingdom Now and Dominion theologians erroneously teach that the church on earth will bring about the kingdom age before the second coming of Jesus. Yet the Bible teaches the opposite. It teaches that gross apostasy and evil growing worse and worse are predicted for the last days. However, rather than being discouraged, believers should realize that these signs of growing apostasy and lawlessness should confirm our faith in the validity of the Bible and Bible prophecy rather than causing us to doubt the truth of our faith and the second coming. So let's not be shaken. Our purpose is to just faithfully gather out of the world as many disciples as possible, preach the gospel as a witness to all nations, whether few or many embrace the faith. The long for second coming of Jesus is the great event that will conclude the present age. And for this, we ought to pray daily. Just as we look back in faith to the cross for our salvation and healing, so every believer should look forward expectantly to Jesus' return. The Bible teaches in Acts 1.11 that the second coming of Jesus will be a real, literal, bodily return. And just as he went away in the clouds of heaven, so he will return in the same manner in his resurrection body. Only when he comes again will the earth be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. But Jesus cannot return to rule until Israel is redeemed. Can you see now why it's important for believers to pray for the peace of Jerusalem? This is God's agenda. Praying for the peace of Jerusalem is part of the gospel. What happens in Jerusalem affects the moral progress of individuals and nations because it is to Jerusalem that Jesus will return to set up his millennial kingdom and restore it to Israel at that time. Therefore, no other city comes close to being as important. So that's why we encourage you to invest time in praying for the peace of Jerusalem. The return of the Lord to Jerusalem is the glorious event for which we've been preparing with many gospel meetings on the Mount of Olives. Because it's to the Mount of Olives, he will return. It will be the location for the greatest drama of history. When according to Zechariah 14.4, in that day, his, Jesus's feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. So I continue to prophesy, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you are uniquely promised an outpouring of great revival. And that's why we pray. According to Zechariah 12, 10, the Lord promises, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one in bitterness for his firstborn. Now, please notice that this prophecy in Zechariah 12.10 pinpoints the inhabitants of where? Jerusalem, not Tel Aviv, not Haifa, not Ashdod, London, Washington, but Jerusalem to receive this great Holy Spirit outpouring in the future. And notice that 
the outpouring will be similar to the order mentioned in Psalm 133. That psalm says that the anointing oil was poured upon the head of Aaron the high priest until the holy oil ran down to the hem of his garments. So also the Lord will pour out his spirit upon Jerusalem, upon the head, the nation's capital. And then the anointing of God's spirit will flow down to Israel and out to the nations. That's why it's so important to prepare for and to pray for revival in Jerusalem. I pray that you're able to see this. So we must also embrace the fact that Jerusalem has a unique place in the history of Israel, and it's not shared by any other people group. It was in Jerusalem that God commanded King David to purchase ground that was destined to become the site of the Holy Temple. And later, David's son, King Solomon, built the temple. And God said in 1 Kings 9.3, my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Furthermore, in the Torah, the Jewish people are mandated by Scripture to make pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year. In no other religion is pilgrimage to Jerusalem mandated. Now, let's look further at this wonderful prophecy in Zechariah 12.10. God says, I will pour. Well, this was partially fulfilled when the risen Messiah sent the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to his disciples in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And the outpouring of the Spirit is daily continued upon the children of God worldwide. And the Holy Spirit will continue to be outpoured until the church age is finished, until we are caught up to be with the Lord forever. But I have to add, as wonderful as that is, there is also a time coming, the Bible record is very clear, when God will fully fulfill this verse, he will literally pour out his spirit upon the house of David. And who was that? It's the Lord's physical family, the Jews. So Zechariah 12.10 should never be applied exclusively to the church. That would be replacement theologies. This verse belongs in a real sense to the Jews. So let's look further at this passage. And they will mourn. So here's a prophecy that Israelis will literally lament the terrible death of the Lord. It'll be true, bitter repentance. Jerusalem will bitterly lament their national sins, as well as the sins of the occupying Romans, who brought shame and execution upon the Lord of glory. And their outcry will be more lamentable than all of the Jewish fast days concerning the destruction of the temple. Now, because the result is so momentous, can you see why there is a Bible command to pray for the peace of Jerusalem? It's found in Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the promise, they shall prosper that love Jerusalem. Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, is our example. He not only prayed for Jerusalem, but he wept. In Luke 13, 34, crying aloud, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children, just as the hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not let me. Behold, your house is left desolate. And I say, 
you will not see me again until the time comes when you say, Baruch Habab I. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They will summons him. So I pray for the church to receive revelation of the glory of the coming revival in Israel and the privilege to pray for it. The world's greatest revival is yet to come in Israel. We're so near to it. God help us then to experience revival in our own lives and nations before it's too late. God says in this word that he favors the return of the Jews to the Holy Land at this time. And Jesus said in the New Testament that the Jews would be dispersed to the ends of the earth, but that in the last days, as the times of the Gentiles wind up, the Jews would return to recapture Jerusalem. Therefore, end-time intercessors and watchmen must be committed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Think about this. Concerning the battle for Britain won by brave fighter pilots, Winston Churchill famously said, never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. I believe Churchill's statement could equally be transferred to the work of true intercessors and watchmen because never in the field of human conflict over the Jewish people and the status of Jerusalem will so much be owed by so many to so few intercessors. Like Ruth the Moabite in the Hebrew Bible who joined herself to Judah, many former Gentile believers are emerging from the famine years in the church and we're ridding ourselves of pagan customs. Like Ruth in the Bible, we're making bold declarations that are biblically correct, if not politically correct. Ruth declared to Israel, your people will be my people and your God, my God. Indeed, we believers worship the God of Israel, not a desert principality. We declare there's no God but Abba and Yeshua. Jesus is his messenger's son. Real New Testament believers say to the Jews, you may be anticipating the first coming of Messiah, but we're watching for his second coming. And we're the people of the book. We have your backs. We have to know that the salvation of the world is tied to the destiny of Israel, Jerusalem, and the Jews. According to Jesus in John 4:22, salvation proceeds from the Jews. The amazing truth is that the Jewish people must be regathered in their historic national homeland in order for them to summon the Lord in the last days to return. Jesus foretold this great event when he said in Matthew 23, verses 38 to 39, You shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Amen. In the meantime, Satan, the temporary ruler of this world, will do his dirtiest to prevent this blessed event from occurring by attempting yet again to obliterate the Jews. The powers of darkness are forever desperate to demonize the Jews in Israel and to sour world opinion against them to the point that even national leaders will claim, as did the former French Prime Minister Michel Rocard, that Israel is illegal and historic mistake, he said. But this troublesome city that is now a stone of offense to politicians remains 
forever the city of God. Realizing the special place of honor and status that Jerusalem holds in the Godhead, no believer should disregard the subject of Jerusalem or speak of Jerusalem and its destiny as if Jerusalem is not of the utmost importance. Let's see the preeminence and importance of Jerusalem. In the Torah, in Deuteronomy 12:11, it was prophesied, Then shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. And then the identity of the city of God's choosing is revealed in 2 Chronicles 6, verse 6, where God says, I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there. So you see, the Lord chose Jerusalem over all the capitals of the world. And someday it will be called Yehovah Shammah, which means the Lord is there. It's the city where he places his name and honor. Therefore, naturally, Satan covets Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the center of the earth and is destined to be the center of the millennial kingdom. As Isaiah 2, 3 proclaims, Out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Furthermore, as if all of this is not enough, Jerusalem is uniquely the Lord's city because Jesus called it the city of the great king. And so I ask, if Jerusalem is sacred to the Messiah, shouldn't it be sacred to his disciples? From a philosophical point of view, Jerusalem is an earthly shadow of eternal realities. And if you're a redeemed child of God, in your heart will always be the highways to Zion. Your connection to Jerusalem will be inevitable and you will be a lover of Zion. However, due in a large measure to distorted media reports, many institutional churches have hardened their hearts toward Israel. When a person continues to resist God's revealed prophetic word concerning Jerusalem and Israel, his heart becomes hardened. But on the other hand, when someone receives revelation from the Holy Spirit about Israel, his heart or her heart is softened. I'm delighted that many believers who have been indifferent towards Israel in the past are now being touched by the Holy Spirit and are even praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Just about every day I receive an email from somebody telling me how their hearts have been opened by God to these truths and how their lives have been changed. So then how should we pray? Well, the biblical command that I mentioned in Psalm 122 to pray for the peace of Jerusalem is not an option. It's imperative. And we should pray also for the prophesied move of the Holy Spirit when the spirit of grace and supplications will be mercifully poured out on Jerusalem. And then, as Zechariah 13:1 declares, on that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. Now this also is very important. I have to mention that Jerusalem's watchmen must also pray for the Islamic harvest. If we pray only for Israel, we're praying for just part of the picture. God has also determined that during the millennium, Israel will be the third party in a messianic league with Egypt and Assyria. The Lord will bless those three favored nations, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, mine inheritance. 
That's Isaiah 19.25. So, my friends, we must understand these times. The church age is winding up on schedule, and Israel has paid double for her sins. The judicial partial blindness that has befallen Israel is lifting. And according to Psalm 102, verse 13, God says he's going to arise and have mercy upon Zion for the time to favor her. Yea, the set time is come. I hope this vital issue of the end of the church age, Jerusalem and the second coming will propel you to become actively involved in praying for the peace of Jerusalem along with me. I'd like to help you to do that. You can contact me and ask for a free newsletter through our website, exploits.tv, where you can watch our free video library and read my teaching blog. Our ministry is called Exploits, based upon Daniel 11.32, declaring that the people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and we're going to accomplish exploits. So let's connect on social media, and don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app to access our videos on your phones or tablets. Well, until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith, praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, the grace of the Lord be extended to you. Maranatha, come quickly also, Lord Jesus. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark.